we've all probably seen those four, eight, 12, maybe even 16 week uh, pre-packaged programs out there. And generally speaking, the, the progress that athletes see with, with these types of programs is significantly less than a intelligent, you know, individual design program working one-on-one with a coach who understands you and your unique individual needs as an athlete. Now, not all the programs out there are bad. Um, you know, in fact, our company offers several of those uh, types of programs. And, you know, if they're written in a way that accounts for individual differences and, you know, varying adaptation rates, people can see good progress. But the bottom line is if you're trying to push limits in a, in a meaningful way that goes beyond sort of a cookie cutter program, you need to work one-on-one with a coach who understands reactive periodization. The fitness movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. We offer coaching and individualized program design, as well as educational content for coaches and athletes. It's all at one place. ZorFitness.com. And welcome back to my rant on reactive periodization. Carl Hardwick actually coined this term, so I'll give him credit for it. I'm not putting words in his mouth today. I just want to take the concept that he kind of came up with and run with it a little bit. Personally, I really latched onto the term reactive periodization because it kind of resonated with me as a more athlete-centric coach. Basically, I write a program, I have expectations about where that progression will go and how it might, in an ideal world, move an athlete through a certain progression, but ultimately uh, how I decide to progress and periodize that athlete in their programming is ultimately based on their feedback. In other words, it's reactive. Back on episode number 23, I had Kyle Ruth on and he talked about athlete-centric coaching. Here's how he explained athlete-centric coaching. In my view, athlete-centric coaching is putting the athlete at the center of the program, as it sounds, right? So uh, taking their needs, their feedback, their readiness, and building the program uh, around that versus, you know, what, what is typically done is, you know, you build a program and you assume that the athlete's going to be able to adapt and mold themselves to uh, the sets and reps and the rep schemes that you've created, right? So on, on the one hand, traditional coaching is like, it makes the assumption that, that athletes are robots, right? You give them X back squats at Y load and you're going to get Z output. Black and the box. reality is, yeah, exactly. And the reality is athletes are humans, right? And they're going to do, you may give them X reps at Y load and it's unlikely that the outcome is going to be predictable or repeatable, especially given all the other lifestyle factors that are involved, you know, recovery factors. And if you're coaching someone in a sport like CrossFit, the reality is you're mixing a lot of variables into that training program. And so to, to believe that you understand exactly or can predict exactly how that athlete's going to respond to your training, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks out. Um, well, first off, it's pretty naive. Secondly, um, I think you're selling your athlete short in that case, because essentially rather than taking into account how they're adapting their feedback to the program, their, you know, their own individual responses to the training, you know, you're just assuming that they're going to adapt like everybody else. And that violates the first law of, of training, which is the law of individual differences. 
So to listen to that entire interview, go to zorfitness.com slash podcast slash zero two three. So in my mind, reactive periodization is one category, uh, you know, a possible requirement maybe for a athlete centric coach. So why would we want to use reactive periodization? Uh, I actually want to read a quote from a PubMed article. Um, I will link to that in the show notes. If someone's curious about reading it, it's called Periodization Theory Confronting an Inconvenient Truth by John Kiley. Quote, mechanical training stressors do serve as the primary stimulus for, yet not the sole drivers of fitness adaptations. Instead, imposed training stressors percolate through a sequence of complex, interacting, modifying filters before eventually manifesting as fitness responses. Some of these filters, genetic inheritance, training histories, and nutritional states are widely appreciated. The rationale and evidence presented here, however, suggests a further layer of less fully acknowledged psycho-emotional considerations which, although non-biological in origin, significantly influence biological training adaptations. Unquote. In my experience as a coach, there's sort of two ways that you can come sort of these like quote unquote like unknowable factors um, that you know are going to determine how an athlete's going to adapt. One is to keep a short feedback loop. And two is to use autoregulation. So the more training variables and just more components overall that fit into an athlete's life, the more that program needs to be able to adjust to match those athletes' demands. So for example, say we have a master's athlete, they're running a powerlifting cycle, and they're also working on some run volume tolerance, right? Maybe they're in an off-season phase, they're doing some concurrent training. Maybe we split those up. Maybe we do them both in the same session. I'd probably split them up. They have a full-time job. They got financial stress. Who knows? Maybe they got kids waking up at night. Uh, you know, the list can go on of all those responsibilities that they have. To think that a person like that, <laughs> that you can like accurately predict how they're going to adapt to all those different training stressors, it's just like craziness. Like you, you don't really know. Like you might have an idea based on their, your past history with that athlete and knowing what they can handle. But beyond that, like you don't really, you can't predict how their kids are are going to sleep that night. You can't predict um, whether their boss is going to be a jerk on that particular day. There's a lot of things that are out of your control. And if they have a schedule that they got to juggle, again, that list just goes on and on of all these factors that are outside of what you are writing in their design. So it's really important that you can have that feedback to figure out just communication wise, um, how to best navigate their training. I'll also note here that CrossFit for athlete training for that is you know, it's just a uniquely demanding sport and training for it is obviously incredibly complicated. You know, there's very few CrossFit athletes who are professionals in the sense that they get paid to do CrossFit as their full-time job. And that this means that, you know, most CrossFit athletes, especially the ones that are training a lot, but, you know, not at the complete pinnacle of the sport where they're having big name sponsorships and things, they're having to balance the way that they make money, which is like, you know, their job or their career with the demands of training. They have to do both of those. Oftentimes they're maybe doing some coaching or maybe they own a gym or maybe they just have like a straight up normal job outside of that. Those are all things that you need to be able to account for as a coach. And again, just writing X's and O's, so to speak, like sets and reps and uh, percentages and that sort of thing doesn't account for that in a program. So to me, there's really two requirements for a coach to use reactive periodization for you to say that you actually use that and can use it effectively. I would say the first is building a program in small chunks. Obviously, you want a short feedback loop, like I mentioned before, but to actually build it, you still have to be able to build that program in small chunks. If you're building out four weeks at a shot, like an entire cycle, you can't be really doing any reactive periodization. Like you still might be able to make adjustments down the road, but then I would say you probably are using this model. That's probably what I would argue. 
The second thing would just be to use lots of communication and make sure that feedback loop, as I mentioned, stays really short. So this is basically just tracking some of your readiness markers. So it could be things as simple as like scores and times for workouts that they're doing or like Metcon sport work. Um, it could be RPE, rating of perceived exertion on, you know, strength metrics or things like that. It could be reps in reserve. It could be, you know, the recovery status. Like I have several athletes that I track whoop um, and their HRV through things like that. It could be sleep quantity and quality, depending what wearables they have that can track that sort of thing, or just be subjective. Could be looking at, you know, soreness and joint distress, if that's an important marker for them to, to track. So again, building the program in small chunks and keeping that short feedback loop are super important. Personally, I build the program out for probably about 90% of my athletes one week at a time. So oftentimes this means I'm using a a single week skeleton, which is like the most common thing. So I've, I've heard of these as templates in the past. Basically it's the priorities that I'm, I'm kind of staying anchored to in whatever uh, block of training that we're going through. So maybe it's, you know, snatches, back squats, and a running progression on Monday. Maybe it's um, upper body gymnastics, uh, strict pulling strength, and some hinging in an interval format on Tuesday, like things like that. I really like having that one week template because it keeps things pretty simple and you can still fit a good number of priorities into a week. Likely you're going to have two or three things that are, are held as pretty big priorities and then everything else is just sort of sprinkled in to uh, sort of maintain a touch on everything. <laughs> now, there's a problem with that though, and it's when you go to write the design for the next week, you say it's you're writing the, that design fairly early and it's a Tuesday when you pop into that athlete's program. You're only going to have maybe Monday or maybe Monday and Tuesday worth of feedback to go off that entire next week for, which is a problem. So there's two ways that you could potentially get around this. One would be to wait until sort of the weekend or as long as possible so you can get as much feedback as possible from that athlete before building out that program. Practically for a lot of coaches, that's not really something that's going to be doable. Like if you're coaching maybe only a handful of athletes, you might be able to get away with that. But if you're a professional, you know, someone who's doing remote coaching as your, your career, then that's going to be impossible, frankly, because you're just going to be working the entire weekend, every weekend. So the other option would just be to guess, which obviously isn't great, right? Like you have to look at the week prior, figure out, okay, this was you know, three percentage higher in terms of uh, the loading that they're hitting on these back squats. This was an RPE seven. Maybe this week you have to guess, maybe that'll be an RPE eight. Okay. So we should be able to at least progress that one more week with them being able to handle that. That leads to errors. So that's not great. So the other option that you could do is to then run a biweekly skeleton. So in other words, you have two weeks an a week and a B week, and you're flip-flopping back and forth between those two. That's great if you have a lot of priorities that you're trying to fit in. However, it doesn't allow very cleanly for you to run a week over week over week progression. And it gets really complicated to figure out where you're at in their design. So the good thing about this is that when you go into that athlete's design, you have an entire week of feedback on the next week that you're building out. So the athlete is completing the B week while I already have an entire week of A week feedback from them. And then I can go in and write the next A week. So what that means is that every single session that I'm building out, I have athlete feedback on while I go to do that. So there's definitely advantages and disadvantages to a weekly or bi-weekly skeleton. However, you just got to figure out what 
makes the most sense for you and each individual or athlete you have and also decide what time of year they, they're in. So if they're probably a little bit closer to uh, their season, I'm more likely to run a biweekly template just because that, that program is going to have a lot more priorities fit into it because uh, you're trying to hit a lot of stuff to prepare them for the sport. Whereas if they're further away, the program's a little bit more static. You want to see them hitting the same things a little bit more frequently. It probably makes sense to run a, a single week uh, template. Regardless of what you do, you just need to make sure that you're tracking athlete data and the most important metrics that you think are necessary um, around recovery or and also just like how they're actually performing in each of those sessions to know if they're adapting effectively or if you need to be able to progress them or maybe potentially enact the deload. And regardless of what I'm doing, I'm thinking about what aspect of a particular progression I'm trying to drive. So am I driving volume? Am I driving load? Am I driving density, right? I have to have a very clear idea of which direction I want to progress that athlete in. So I'm going to go through one of my athletes, their back squat progression. Uh, it's a male athlete. He's in his 20s. He's fairly enduring. And I want to go through what I wrote, what I expected to get out of it, what he actually did, and then how I progressed that as a result of his feedback on it. So sort of reactive periodization actually in, in the works. The first week that I'm going to read to you, this was not the first week in the progression. Uh, it was every three minutes for 10 sets, five back squats at 73%, riding the air bike at a recovery pace between. So five back squats, 73%. That's not a joke in and of itself. 10 sets is a lot with not a long turnaround again and riding the air bike between. So I, I didn't expect that to be easy. He was at RPE7 on there and said that it felt quote, really good. <laughs> so I just decided, hey, let's progress it. So next week was every three minutes for 10 sets, five back squats at 76%. So I just bumped it up 3%. It was a fairly high RPE, eight and a half. So I wanted to keep driving the intensity of that. And we had already done that, that air bike type progression in between for, I think it was three weeks before that. So I pulled out the air bike for the next week so that I could continue to drive the intensity. That wasn't necessarily something that I planned to do, but I wanted to make sure that we could go above 76%. So in order to do that, I didn't want to extend out the time. I didn't want to reduce the number of sets in terms of the volume. So I pulled out the air bike in between instead. So the following week was every three minutes for 10 sets, six back squats at 80%. You know, full disclosure, I was sort of expecting that to be pretty crushing. Like that's literally 60 back squats at 80%. Pretty heavy, pretty intensive, and a ton of volume. Uh, frankly, most athletes would have been ruined from that. He was at RPE eight. So I was like, well, you know what? We'll just keep, we'll keep running this. So I just added 3%. We went to every three minutes for 10 sets, six back squats at 83%. Once again, RPE eight. So I said, well, we'll just keep going with this. Um, I didn't want to increase the volume any more than that. So I said every three minutes for eight to 10 sets, just give them a little bit of range and auto regulation, five back squats at 87 and a half percent. So that was RPE nine, which most athletes would have fared miserably at that probably in the first set or two, like a set of five back squats at 87.5% could very easily be a five RM for a lot of athletes. He did that. I don't have it right in front of me, but somewhere between eight and 10 times. So the following week, we are going to deload, right? We're at RPE nine. We're at super high volume, high intensity. It makes sense to just pull back for a little bit and then figure out where I want to go from there. Personally, I know that I want to sort of start to pull back that volume. I do not feel comfortable building the volume anywhere past that and just continue to drive the intensity in that same fashion, 
right? Just continuing to up his percentage work. And likely we're going to get up into the mid 90s. And that's still going to feel relatively good for him, meaning that his 100% is definitely not 100% anymore, right? Like he's got a new max. So I think that's a pretty good example of how you could use reactive periodization. Now, you can do the same thing for energy systems training. You can do the same thing for CrossFit or really any aspect of more intense training where that athlete feedback is going to be super important. Basically, it's just allowing for athlete readiness to dictate the aggressiveness of the program and rate of the progression. And that's the big benefit of reactive periodization. Thanks for listening today. If you're someone who just found the show, I would encourage you to subscribe so you can stay up to date. If you're someone who's been listening for a while and enjoying what you're hearing, I would encourage you to leave a rating or a view for the show. It would definitely help us out. And lastly, if you're someone who does take your fitness seriously and cares about your performance deeply, I would encourage you to look into hiring one of our coaches. Until next time, stay the course.